This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 147 of the ABZ Football Podcast. As always, I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this evening is the one and only Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? I'm well, thank you. Very well. Feeling a tiny bit old from the new transfer news up in the blue tune. But other than that, what a sad state of affairs. From Indeed. Milton Keynes to Dundee to Peterhead. Oof. Yeah, sad, Oof. sad stuff for Peter Paul. And um, completing the lineup tonight, it's the one and only... Bobby Soggy Biscuit from Twitter slash X, whatever the fuck we call it these days. Jamie, how's it going, mate? Thanks for joining us. Not too bad. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. No, it's all good. What, what else we could we do? I mean, normally we get Andy Murray in to pile on through the misery of end of season reviews or mid season reviews to talk through absolute shit. But you've picked up that lucky straw this week, so um, you must be absolutely buzzing. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, I can really pile on the misery. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, great stuff. So, I guess before we get going, chaps, how does it feel to follow Europe's seventh most efficient club? Oh, I mean, when when the new stadium is built, that's what I want plastered across the main stand when we get there. I mean, who are we to take the piss? It'll be one of the metrics that's being wheeled out next year, I imagine, or it'll be one of the kind of like data points on the next PowerPoint presentation we see. But uh, it's another reason we're so lucky to have Barry as our manager. <laughs> we really are. So. Tonight, episode 147, we're going to bring you part one of our season to date review. Before we do that, just a quick round up on some comings and goings this week. Quick check in with the Quines as well as they return to action. Then we'll get down and dirty looking at the first half of the mid season review so far. So, in terms of latest news, Lone Watch, as we discussed briefly in episode 146 earlier in the week, we saw the unsurprising news that Reese Williams' loan at the Dons had ended as he headed back to Liverpool. Um, Still no confirmation about Ordadia's loan having been terminated yet. So clearly really just firing into that duty-free at Heathrow um, <laughs> at this moment in time, I think. few updates on our loanees now, though, as well this week. Aaron Reid recalled from his spell at Peterhead, 13 appearances for the Blue Two, No goals and one assist in that spell. He's now been loaned out to Fort Martin United to help replace Dylan Lobbin, who was recalled from Pitt Medden, although Adam Emsley's spell at Fort Martin has been extended to the end of the season as well. Dylan Lobbin recalled, like I said, from Fort Martin. He's heading out to Forfar for the remainder of his campaign. Alfie Babbage's loan spell at Kelty extended to the end of the season. Finlay Marshall out on loan as well to struggling Edinburgh City for the remainder of the season. And with that said and done, on to loan watch really quickly. Kieran Nguyen yet parked there, so no place again in the matchday squad for him as Partick ran out 4-0 winners over our broth in the championship. Evan Towler, again no place in the squad for him as nine-man Montrose ground out a Desmond at Annan in League One. Alfie Babbage celebrated his extended deal at Kelty 
with their first goal as Kelty came from 2-0 down to draw 2-2 at Cove in League 1. Finlay Marshall only signing for Edinburgh the day prior, straight into the team. Played 81 minutes as Edinburgh lost 3-1 at home to Aloha in front of Martin Stone, who managed to get himself a wee pie and a bun as well. So top top work there from Martin. Liam Harvey, Blair McKenzie, Elgin City. McKenzie started, played the full 90 minutes. Harvey coming off the bench with 10 to go. And it was Harvey who was the hero, netting an 89th minute penalty to see Elgin complete a turnaround win at Borough Briggs, beating Stranar 2-1, which sees them jump up to 8th in the table. Dylan Lobbin straight into the starting lineup for him as well at Forfar, played the first half before being hooked as Forfar were beating 2 1 at Ockleview to Stenhouse Muir. Aaron Reed and Adam Emsley, no game for them for Martin's visit to Bucky Thistle following the foul of a Wartlog pitch in Bucky. And then Finlay Murray, another start for him, another 90 minutes under his belt as Tura smashed Clack 5 1 in the Highland League. And then down south, Jaden Richardson and Anthony Stewart, no games apiece for Jaden or for Big T as neither of those sides were involved in the FA Cup. Maybe, who knows, maybe a, a recall for one of those two, do you think, Jamie? Oh, Jesus Christ, no. Please, no. Please, no. <laughs> Any surprises for you guys at all in the kind of loan moves that's happened? I mean, normally at this time of the year, we do see a few boys getting recalled, etc. that's happened, a few guys getting punted out to slightly higher levels now, except for Aaron Reed, who's gone down the pyramid. I guess the big surprises for me is just Evan Tyler, Kieran Nguyen. We've had little information about what's going on with their loan spells. Nguyenia was playing quite regularly for Partick. I'm not sure if he's injured. Towler's barely featured from intros, so I was kind of expecting when I've seen them back. But other than that, no real surprises, I don't think. It's a sub- shocker about Nguyenia, to be quite honest with you. I liked him in pre-season, but he looked a strong, athletic boy, but just not really seem to cut it at Partick. But did they not sign the guy from Cove as well? He was probably the first choice left back all the time, so not really getting a sniff, is he? We've talked about that Previously, when you know we do loan watch and week in week out, it'd be in Gwenya's on the bench or just not featuring at all. They, uh, I'm not sure who it is that handles our kind of loan uh, strategy or looks out for who's going out where. But um, that one, yeah, seemed to me a bit of a an error in judgment to send yeah a promising left back to a club where one of their star players is their left back and got on the team but hasn't featured for some time now. Uh, much the same with Evan Teller. I guess on the whole, you know, some players have made like step ups in the in the Scottish pyramid, which is promising to see. Aaron Reid obviously dropping down, but you know, that's maybe one of those where more time, maybe playing in a better team, might get a few goals, build up his confidence a bit. Uh, yeah, hopefully, works out well for the guys. I'm sure there'll be some more moves to come in the window, and uh, yeah, or Daddy is still an Aberdeen player for now. For now. Let's see what happens. Uh, on the Quines, the Quines returned to action on Sunday as well after a couple of weeks off, bolstered by a triple swoop, I think would be the, the transfer parlance for this one here, that saw experienced goalkeeper Jennifer Curry join from Sion Swift. And I thought to myself, off, coming in from the Swiss. But no, that's a Northern Irish side apparently, so there we go. Midfielder Keeley Banfield and defender Lewis Edwards coming in on loan from Watford as well. Like I say, they were back in action on Sunday afternoon in Edinburgh as they travelled to take on... Buttermere Thistle in the Scottish Cup, all three of the new recruits, Curry, Banfield and Edwards, taking their places in the starting lineup as they faced off with Thistle, who currently sits second in SWPL2. Hannah Stewart thinking she had the coins ahead early doors, but her goal rolled out for offside before the host did take the lead on 22 minutes in contentious circumstances. Arthur appearing to fill Maddie Finney in the build-up, nothing given. She fired past Curry to give Buttermere the lead. Gover then with an effort smashed off the bar as the Quines looked for an immediate response, but the sides were in at the break 
with Thistle a goal to the good. A double swap at the break from Clint Lancaster, seeing Hannah Innes and Fran Ogilvie coming in for Emma Lawson and Emily Martindale. Ogilvie nearly equalising straight from the off before Stuart hit the bar as the visitors looked to turn the screw. And an equaliser did come just after the hour mark. Innes's corner causing all sorts of problems in the Thistle defence. And Bailey Hutchison, who else, prodded home. The Dons then, a goal up 15 minutes later. Hannah Innes smashing a right foot effort in the top corner for her first senior goal for the club. And the Dons ensured their place in the next round when Shore was brought down in the box. And Hannah Stewart slotted home the penalty kick. Full time. 3-1 to Aberdeen. A good comeback in the circumstances, Gav. Next up for the Quines, a trip to Glasgow next week to take on a park this old side who've actually been performing pretty well so far in SWPL1. Yeah, always great to progress through the cup, uh, get into the next stage there, get some experience for the girls. Um, those three signings that have come in, I think we're much, much needed recruits. Uh, we've been desperately unlucky. Unlucky, not lucky. That was just... Twitter typos right there. And where's the edit button for non-premium accounts? Where are they, Elon? Yeah, twat. Um, yeah, we've been so unlucky. Obviously losing um, Fran Kirby and then other players due to various um, circumstances. So to get those three in feels like a really positive thing. I think hopefully maybe the club can get one or two more in to help the, the team through the rest of the season. And yeah, I mean, they've had some, some sore... Some sore losses lately, some really heavy, heavy defeats. So to go away, go a goal down, show some character, come back, get that win. Very good. And yeah, fingers crossed we can just kind of keep keep cracking on the second half and try to fight our way to the top half of that league. Indeed. So um, let's get on to the main event of the <sighs> evening. Um, season review, part one. I can just see furrowed brows and big sighs and people gulping down pints on this call already as we go. But let's 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 get cracking. Let's let's think back to the summer. You know, after the dramatic turnaround to the end of last season, all eyes on that close season uh, were on that significant rebuild that had to be done. Angus McDonald had already signed an extended deal prior to the end of last campaign, but we did see departures in the form of Ross McCrory, Matty Kennedy, Conor McLennan, Dean Campbell. Marley Watkins, Callum Roberts, remember Cal Roberts? And then Joe Lewis eventually departing as well on top of the loanies that made up the balance of that, the squad that season. I mean, Jamie, I'll come to you quickly. I mean, obviously, we had a remarkable turnaround at the back end of last season to, to qualify for Europe, but obviously secured Barry the gig full-time. And we've got our own thoughts, I think, about Barry's short, medium or long-term future at this moment in time. But at the time coming in you know once the season finished last season were you kind of hopeful though about what the new look Aberdeen was going to bring this season yeah absolutely I think I'm always hopeful any season but that's just part and parcel of being an idiot Don's fan really is it <laughs> set ourselves up for a fall quite sharp but no like the signs that came in they came in with a lot of promise I had high hopes for Reese Williams to be quite honest but then uh, I don't know what the hell's going on there um I think losing Ramadani was obviously key. Never replaced him. When I was watching back some of the highlights earlier, even against, okay, it's Turf United, but he just ran all over the place. And we've never we've never replaced that at all. But yeah, I was optimistic. Um, and that optimism was uh, quickly shot out me with a beautiful nil-nil against Livy. Yeah, we'll get onto that in a second. Um, inbound, Graeme Shinney. Finally signing back on a permanent deal as well after he got a deal with Wigan to terminate his contract with them. Followed by Nicky Devlin. 
in one of the worst kept secrets of transfer history, I think. Ross Duhan, and a coup, it, we all thought, I think, at the time, and perhaps still do, signing Leighton Clarkson on a permanent deal. All players we knew plenty about before Davies' moneyball machine kicked back into action. We brought in Slovenian Esther Sokler from NK, Radumle, Reese Williams from Liverpool, and Ordadia from Hapwell, Beersheva on loan, completing our dealings initially in the window. We'll come and talk about some of the other boys that came in in a minute or two. Um, Gav, casting your mind back as we went through pre-season, were you kind of optimistic about the dealings we'd made in the transfer market? And we will come out and touch about the Ramadani piece in a minute, so avoid that one for a second. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back on it now, I mean, it was quite quickly done after the season finished. It felt like losing McCrory for what we did, given that he'd signed an extension, what, the year prior to lose him for £2 million to, to Bristol City? Seemed like that felt like it was going to be a blow to me. Um, I think that's probably uh, been borne out in some of the results we've had without him. Uh, other than him, I felt like the outgoings at that point, because Ram Danish hadn't gone by that point, it felt like they were players who were, their time was up, or they just hadn't lived up to any kind of expectation, or in the case of maybe someone like Cal Roberts, just, you know, never even got going. Uh, and. Martha. Away, away <laughs> off to uh, Scunthorpe United, I believe, is where he's currently rocking his football. Um, I'm not even sure if he's rocking his football. I think he's injured, which will come as no surprise to anybody. I, <sighs> I think I saw him chronicled as the new Blythe Messi, or so, not no, new Blythe, no, new Blythe, sorry, new Blythe's in Aberdeenshire. New Blythe Messi or something when I was searching through, <laughs> as we all do on YouTube, when they signed, but fucking hell, he was woeful. Yeah, but I mean, when we in, in seeing that losing McCrory, I thought I'd carved out a really good role for himself in the club at the uh, right wing back position. I was hugely enthused when our manager commented on one of our signings as being an excellent footballer, a versatile player who can play in a number of positions so we'll further strengthen our defensive options. Athletic, hungry, a good mentality, all key attributes we want in our players at Aberdeen. His arrival is once again a testament to the excellent recruitment strategy we have in place at the club and I'm sure will be determined to make a positive impact during a spell with us. I'm still waiting for it. Who was that? that was none other than our Israeli international yeah. or Dadia. Yeah, I think I think the or Dadia one for me was the moment when, I, when we spoke to the Israeli sports journalist about him. And the first question he asked me before we started recording was, so what sort of like system do you guys play? And I was like, 3-5-2. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's not a wing back. Like he can't get a game for Israel. We play three five two, and he can't play as a wing back for them. He's not good enough to do that. And they're like, cool, excellent, great stuff. That's what I want to hear. To be fair, a man that smokes forty pints a day doesn't scream athleticism, though, does it? Not necessarily. It's almost as though he might have had an agent um, who was an agent for one of our other players already within the club. Um, just, just going to throw that one out there. If only that was the most fear-inducing review of a new player that we had that summer. Yeah. And we'll get onto that in a minute or two. As is always the way, pre-season, much of a muchness, a 9-0 thumping a Tura, which did see an absolute thunderbasser from Il- Ilber Ramadani. Esther Sokler hit a four-goal salvo, I think, again, is the football cliches term you need to do that when somebody scores four. Um, that got us up and running. A 2-0 win over the Brock, Alfie Bavage and Sokler again with the goals in that one. A 2-0 defeat at Preston in the Michael Hart derby, maybe tempered things just a touch before. The Dons rampaged in a first-half performance at the Valley to run up a three-goal lead. So hopes for a kind of bright, attacking, focused Don side started to kind of come to the fore. We were quite impressive in that opening 45 minutes in London. Uh, Bojan Miofsky getting back amongst the goals as well on his return from injury. But then came the inevitable news that we'd been waiting on since pretty much the start of the window. 
Azilba Ramadani's move to Lecce was confirmed that final week of pre-season. And I think, Jamie, I don't know about you, like, I, think I'm, I, I think I've spoken about this a lot in that there was you probably have. three players. Yeah, there was. There was the three players I think we were concerned about losing in the window. Duke Miofsky, Ramadani. I think Ramadani felt like he should theoretically have been the easiest one to replace if you did lose one of the three. But we've really, really struggled, haven't we? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's just a grafter. And at the end of the day, you should be able to replace that quite easily with this so-called extensive scouting network that we that we have in place. So it's disappointing that we've not really replaced him in the manner that we should. I, we were told that maybe Povara was that you know, direct replacement, but I'm not convinced he's he's like for like there. He's he's athletic, he's a battler, but he's just not... I don't think he has the legs or the lungs that, that Ramadani has. To let him go for as cheap as he did, there there had to have been some sort of pre prior agreement in place there for, for losing him at that cheap, to be honest. That final week of pre-season, though, also saw the arrival of Slobodan Rubicic coming into the club from Novi Pazar in Serbia. At this point, Serbian Slobodan Rubicic. This obviously changes midway through the course of the season. Um, let's be honest, though. We were all fucking loving the idea of this absolute nutcase Serbian centre-half with South Park tattoos on his neck. Or was no, it on his bicep, I think, the South Park ones. Yeah. I mean, what more do you want? And his, his opening Red TV interview was fucking brilliant, Gav. You're talking, of course, where he is very, very quiet, very methodical, saying, people think because I'm from Serbia, I am aggressive. And I'm not, I'm not aggressive, but I'm very aggressive. I like to play with the ball, but I'm very aggressive. I mean, yeah, he's, he's struck fear in me on a number of occasions in this six months, um, and not just because of that these looks a little bit mad. Well, certainly an interesting one, though, wasn't it, James? The kind of move, again, that you kind of felt with the success we'd had with, like, Miofsky and Ramadani in particular, it was one of these, if we've unearthed, like, a proper, hardcore, <laughs> Serbian centre-half, no nonsense, that could be fucking great. I, I've... Yeah, <laughs> that would be great, yeah. You're, you're quite right. Like you say, during his interview, you're a bit taken aback, cold, calm, and you think, yeah, this guy's a fucking psychopath. He could do some damage here. And he's done some fucking damage, that's for sure. But, <laughs> ah, his defensive ability leaves a bit to be desired, I think. he's He just has this want to go and kill. And <laughs> just sometimes he doesn't need to do it. I mean, I'm not sure if that's just a, a thing growing up in Serbia slash Montenegro. Just go out and attack whatever it is you're doing that day. But, <laughs> yeah... The South Park tattoos. There's a. I'm pretty sure I've seen a Simpsons one as well. I think Could he just be. needs a. Just needs a Family Guy one to. to Completely set real. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a wee Futurama as well. Yeah. Um, so we headed for Livy in what seemed like a. I remember it feeling fairly positive, fairly buoyant kind of mood going into that one. Rubicic given the nod for a debut straight off the bat. We lined up in a three-five-two that we've all become accustomed to him. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about that later on. Uh, we had Devlin and McKenzie, though, either side of Rubicic, and wing-backs consisting of Johnny Hayes and Shaden Morris. Fair to say that this was not a classic by any stretch of the imagination. Well, this is the moment where you start to go from feeling quite positive about a recruitment to questioning how the hell do we finish third place in the league and we're starting Shaden Morris at right wing back and our new right wing backs centre back and Jack McKenzie is centre back and Slobodan looks a little bit 
limited, shall we say. And, you know, 93-year-old Johnny Hayes at left wing back <laughs> again. Um, yeah, that was... Well, I mean, the game was terrible, as anyone who's seen it or was there will, will attest to. But, yeah, it's a, it was one hell of a way, because, like, you know, record season ticket sales, record shirt sales, you know, so much positivity going through the city. At that point, you're feeling fairly optimistic that we've, we're probably going to keep Boyamiofsky and Duke at the club. Um, we've brought Leighton Clarkson back in. Feels like all the pieces are there to go and have a great season. And this was just the way to sap any kind of enthusiasm right <laughs> out of you. Like, no shots on target from us in this one. There was lots of baseball, hoofball as well here, as I recall. I mean, talk about a deeply underwhelming start to the campaign, Jamie. And, and one maybe that should have had bigger warning signs blaring for everybody about what was possibly to come. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, have you read, have you watched back his, uh, his post-match presser? That yes. was the first time, first time in many, I think he, he utters the word, ah, frustrated, Rob, frustrated. Love getting hooked. But he also mentions something about, um, he couldn't wait to get back on the grass and make us a fast, exciting uh, team, it's kind of scoring goals. Like, what a fucking liar. Like, just utter dross. I remember that game and thinking, how narrow do we want to be as a team? Just, okay, we've got a 93-year-old left winger and Shady Mo right wing who, final ball, just leaves a bit to be desired. But he is athletic. He'll get up and down. But we just seem so narrow. And just, like you say, we wanted to enter hoofball. That was the start of it, really. And we've never really looked back, have we? No, not at all. Uh, that was followed up by the visit of the reigning champions, Celtic Pataudry. Celtic themselves going through that close season of transition themselves as well. Transition on their favourite buzzword of Barry's. Uh, Ange Postacoglu departing for Spurs. Brendan Rodgers reanimating in Glasgow's East End once again. The Dons surrendering an early lead in typical fashion against Celtic, uh, Avada scoring after Maida left with a free header from a free kick. Again, this will be a recurring theme throughout the course of the season so far, as well as our softness at set plays in particular. Still with the 3-5-2 here, but with an injury to Hayes, it meant we managed to spectacularly outdo ourselves in the Livy starting lineup because we had Morris and Ryan Duncan as wing-packs for this one. Um, we did, however, manage to come back into the game pretty much straight away uh, Miofsky with his first goal of the season 15 minutes after Celtic's opener but in classic Aberdeen fashion we managed to shoot ourselves in the foot straight away Nicky Devon with a proper moment of madness completely unaware of the position of Kyogo as he headed the ball back into the path of the Japanese striker who finished past the Roos Celtic matured the points with 6 minutes to go O'Reilly free in the box convert a Yang pullback on the break this was a weird performance as I remember like in flashes we looked okay in this game and I thought we looked decent going forward at times um, defensive lapses obviously costing us big time but I guess again Gav as you touched on there Morris and Duncan as wing backs really just start to highlight A how weak we were in the centre of defence because injuries to McDonald um, had meant that there was you know that's why we were having to play with Nicky Devlin in particular uh, right in, in the centre half area and there was certainly some ink, uh, fingers ink being pointed in the direction of recruitment as well because we were just hanging on and hanging on and hanging on at this point for Liam Scales to be sold to us. Well, that's that's it, wasn't it? Um, and then, like like Jamie's kind of said there, um, you know, Reese Williams did come in as one of the earliest pieces of business, and I think we all had a lot of high hopes. And even by this point, I think you're starting to hear 
the kind of rumor and innuendo about what's going on with with Reese and whether this is even at that early stage, even that was going to work out. Angus being injured, you know, it's just it wasn't. It felt like a real act of negligence, almost the fact that we were going into this stage stage of the season. The league campaign is up and running. We need players in the door. We need the team to be gelled for these crucial European games. And we're it's a makeshift back five off the back of one or two injuries. Um, so that was really disappointing. And then, you know, I mean, classic Aberdeen. I mean, yeah, we, there was some good stuff within that game. But if you give away three easy goals to anyone, never mind uh, Celtic, who are probably still the best team in the country, you're going to get what you deserve and we did on that day we got nothing and uh, a very disappointing result Jimmy just thinking back to the 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 error by Nicky Devlin I think it probably says a lot about the character of Devlin that that you know that that type of mistake in your home debut when you've made this significant step up as he had from Livingston to Aberdeen that could have been almost like curtains for players perhaps with less personality and belief in themselves straight off the bat and in fairness to Devlin it's an absolute howler but he's kind of not let that really affect him at all during his period of time at, at Aberdeen No, to be honest one of the signings this season absolutely in that same game I think he clears one off the line as well Yeah. Um, so yeah and he's been standard 7, seven and a half out of 10 pretty much every game so yeah great character um, was an absolute howler to be fair but like you say, he he just sort of picks himself up, dusts himself off, and gets on with it. And to be fair, we could be use a few more Nicky Devlins and an Aberdeen team right now. To be honest, don't disagree. How much were you watching this one from behind the sofa when you saw that it was uh, Ryan Duncan and Shady Mo as the wing backs for this? <laughs> to be fair, Ryan Duncan does all right and set up to the goal, but he does. Yeah, it's um, again. I just I don't think we've thought out how we want to play at all I think ah fuck it we'll go 3-5-2 and we'll just stick two wingers at wing back I, I kind of feel sorry for Ryan Duncan to be honest because he's probably spent his formative years playing as a winger and then all of a sudden the guy that's played him as a winger for year upon year just went right go and play left wing back now which it's it's a bit of a different position especially when you're just humping the ball from back to front as much as we do. <laughs> Indeed. I guess as well, this was that whole period where I think so many people were convinced that we were going to get this game out of the way and then Celtic were going to sell Liam Scales to us after this one, um, which seemed like a really weird way that people thought that that would hang out because you're always just like, well, if they're going to do it, they'll just sell it to him and just tell us you, you can't play against them. Was this a bit of negligence, Jink, on the part of the recruitment team to be hanging on on the Liam Scales thing for as long as we appeared to? I've got no real doubt that we were waiting for Liam Scales and I think also we might have been waiting for Matty Pollock as well and that is what leads us to the situation of bringing in you know Richard Jensen and Stefan Garterman as as late as we do um I think there's got to be for me there should be a point of right if Celtic are not going to play ball by this date then it's just not going to happen and now we move on to the next target and that's Richard Jensen let's get this done so he's in place for you know, the game with Celtic or the game with Livingston and he's, you know, fully integrated before we go and play Hecken. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I get it. I, I know how much Barry Robson wanted Liam Scales back at the club and I was in the exact same boat. But for me, you've got to have that level of uh, discipline as a club to just say, it's not going to happen now. Celtic are not playing ball. Move on. Next target. 
Next up, a second trip in two seasons to Sterling Albion in the League Cup. 2-1 win, enough to see us through. Our first win of the season domestically. Goals from Boyamiovsky at first since he'd returned on a permanent deal for Leighton Clarkson. But there was that like nervy 15-minute spell again in this one when Sterling Albion scored. And it's like, this has turned into a much nervier and kicker than it had to be, didn't it? Conceded from a set-piece yet again. Shock. <laughs> Keep getting told we're really good at defending those as well. We really the are. easiest thing to sort out as well, yeah. I don't know who it is that keeps peddling this idea that we're really good at defending set pieces because the stats don't bear out in any way, shape, nor form. Um, that was just one of those games. I know that it's it's, a, it's the cliche part is it had been the cup, but you just need to get through it the next round. But with the start to the campaign we'd had, it really felt like we needed something a little bit more, a bit more like the Sterling Allen performance we'd seen the season prior where you go and blow somebody away a little bit and you kind of get up and running. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I was just happy to get through. Um, I think, obviously, Sterling Albin were a completely different proposition um, this season as opposed to last year when Davin Young was having to just build a squad out of whatever he could find. Um, they'd obviously won the league, had a great uh, group stage ca- campaign. So I knew it was going to be like a really difficult test and you know, we were happy to get through it. But to go two goals up, have the kind of players we have on the pitch, I feel we should be dominating that game and stamping our authority so to concede and become really nervy um against with all due respect a part-time league one side was was deeply concerning um for for the remainder of the campaign really that one sets up for that reunion with Hecken in the Europa League playoff round probably it's fair to say Jamie we couldn't have hoped I don't think for a much better draw at this stage I mean for the teams we could have drawn in the pot as well this was about as good as it could have been yeah, I mean, getting drawn against them after scudding them, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll take that, considering who we could have had. Uh, just didn't really pan out the, the way that we uh, we thought it would as well, but your man Ibrahim Sadiq was a bit of a pain in the arse on both legs, to be honest. He wasn't, he was indeed. I mean, like, again, as we touched on at the time, Hecke needed a wee bit of respect put on the name. I mean, they were reigning Swedish champions after all. It was as good a draw as we could have possibly hoped for. It did mean, of course, that um, about 400-odd lucky members of the Red Army could fully enjoy the pilgrimage back to Gothenburg that wasn't possible in that 21-22 season. Coming into that one, new se- new signings, Richard Jensen, Jamie McGrath and Jimmy McGarry all made the bench, although it was Duncan and Morris starting as wing-backs. Now, uh, Jamie, I'm going to throw quickly to yourself again here, just purely because Gav's obviously made his feelings known on the Jamie McGrath signing in particular, but... When the McGrath one came around, what was your kind of overriding impression slash view about the fact that McGrath had finally signed on at Aberdeen? Oh, the line start Lippmann in. Um, what did I think? <laughs> I, I was, I, honestly, I was on the fence because to to watch a player that you tried to sign two times before, then he goes down with Dundee United and you, okay, he scored a ton of goals all from the penalty spot, but I was never really on board fully. I watched him at St Mirren, he was great at St Mirren, but then, yeah, like I say, on the fence completely, but I think maybe this game was where I thought, ah, we've maybe got a player here actually, and I'm not sure where, when the McGrath board was uh, born, can't remember if it was this game or a few games after, but I thought it was something there. Again though, we start in a real crucial European tie, Duncan and Morris is the wing-backs, and after, I, mean, I had to go back and look at some of the highlights again of this one. It was like a really, really open start to this game. Both sides, it was almost like a game of basketball. Both sides 
kind of at each other, hacking, hacking, hecking, and taking the lead through Leone before Duke missed a great opportunity to equalise. And this becomes a little bit of a common theme in the early stages of, of Europe so far. The aforementioned Sadiq with the penalty kick after Mackenzie's penalised for a handball after a VAR intervention. At that point, it was like, fucking hell, we've managed to spectacularly blow this within an hour of the first leg. Um, McGrath and McGarry coming on in the aftermath of that penalty kick. And that swap, in fairness to Robson, did change things. We get back into the game with a fine goal from Bojamiowski before Nicky Devlin gets the equaliser four minutes later. At that point, it, it feels like it's an unlikely draw after the penalty kick. Davies on the pitch. He thinks it's all over. <laughs> Absolute fucking scenes. It's, uh, yeah, I went back and had a look at this game. Um, and you're right. I mean, in the first half, it was very, very end-to-end. Lots of opportunities. I mean, it's kind of that the Duke opportunities prime Duke in that he sort of creates it out of nothing for himself. And you're hoping that following the season that he had uh, last season... He's just going to stick that away. And kind of the story of Duke's season, he just sort of hits it straight at the goalkeeper. Um, doesn't even have to make a save. It just sort of hits off him. The first goal I'd forgotten just how comical it is. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really it's bad. A, it's, yeah. a, it's a counter-attack from, I think, either a throw-in to them or a throw-in for ourselves. Uh, you know, men, an overload in the first half of the game. Um, just absolutely shocking stuff. Mackenzie one, from what I recall, is... a pretty clear handball there um and yeah you're thinking the worst at that point that rather than being the the ideal draw that gives us the best chance of doing something pretty significant and getting to the Europa League group stage we've just absolutely botched it then Q 2023-2024 Boyamioski creates something out of nothing uh incredible finish and then Nicky Devlin just does what Nicky Devlin's done a lot of times this season and marauds from the right-back position into the centre of the opposition penalty area. Great finish for himself, lofting over the goalkeeper. And then you're thinking, wow, we've dodged a bullet here. And this game is still on. You're almost regretful that away goals aren't a thing anymore because that would put us in a great yeah. position, uh, coming back to Pataudry. But, you know, the game's still live. We did an incredible job on them under Stephen Glass those years ago. If we can perform to half that level then we're going to be in the Europa League group stage. I must admit, Jamie, I kind of thought that sort of comeback should theoretically spark us into life in the league as well, isn't it? It's the kind of result, the kind of turnaround performance that really normally you see a team kind of kick on from. Um, it certainly kind of made us favourites, I think, for the return leg, the way it came around. Yeah, and just touching on Boyan's goal, I don't think we can underestimate that touch, that uh, absolute class. Touch away from the... Defender, rocket in the bottom corner. Absolute great class. Um, yeah, we should have really kicked on after that, but I don't know, Barry had his excuses lined up, you know. Can't be playing too many games in a row. And what do we follow that up with? 2-2 two, two, draw St Mirren, was it? Well, let's come on to that, because this is the first time we saw some of the some of Barry's idiosyncrasies start to reappear again, I think. That's, <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Uh, trip to Paisley. Another disappointing performance. We see Angus McDonald and Johnny Hayes back in the team. Uh, we take what can only be described as an undeserved lead uh, before halftime through a Hayes free kick that just floats into the back of the net. But then very typically of our performances at the Smyza in recent seasons, a really poor second half season, 2-1 down, goals from Kilty and Grieve. And just when it looked like we're going to be leaving here with a defeat, 
we grab a late penalty thanks to a handball from Gogic. Miofsky, let's just call it somewhat fortuitously, nets the spot kick. We get out of dodge with the point. But this was the first time we saw like Robson complaining about travel in particular. I think it this was the one where we really complained about the, the travel from I have to check my notes on this one, Sweden all the way back to Aberdeen. This really felt like a massive warning sign once again about what was about to come down the tracks between now and Christmas. Uh, yeah, and I mean, personally speaking as well, like the decision to go with Hayes at left wing back that day, um, I've maybe changed my view on this uh, in the in the later months, but like McGarry, I thought looked promising when he came off the bench um, against Hecken, was involved in, in that improved second half performance. I felt like there was a... S- indication there that Robson was going to stick with people no matter what and that's kind of bore out in this season the way it's played out um yeah I remember just listening to this game driving home on on the radio and the people on Sport Sound being pretty astounded by how bad we were and it was all about how Sidman and completely deserved the lead and you know we get that another massive slice of luck getting the penalty and, you know, uh, in the in the words of the VAR, independent review, uh, the goal shouldn't have stood. So we're lucky there, I guess, as well. Yeah, another, yeah, hugely. Like, St. Minnan started the season well. So in that sense, yeah, they it did. felt like yeah. a, a point away at home is maybe not the worst thing in Paisley. But, yeah, the performance, again, way short. And, again, two comically bad goals to give away from a yeah. team that had been so good at the back for the last six months. We robbed them. Absolutely robbed them that game. Yeah, completely. Um, I think as well, I, I can see why the independent reviews kind of now said that they got it wrong on the Miofsky one. I mean, I don't think there's any real conclusive angle that's ever shown it was a double hit, but it looks like a double hit, and it looked like a double hit at the time. So I think, and given the way the VARs worked for us this season as well, I'm absolutely astonished that it never got pulled back again. But this was also, like I say, Jamie, this was the first time we saw the kind of travel thing get wheeled out as an excuse. And... That one for me really, I, I really struggled and I think we had a, a right old fucking good time laughing about this one on the pod after this game. So it was just like, what way did we fucking travel back from Sweden? Did we circumnavigate the globe in the wrong fucking direction? Is this what happens when you take Stephen Gunn away from dealing with travel and put him into a different role? Aye, <laughs> uh, Sweden, not exactly uh, cross-continent travel, is it? But I don't know. I think as a manager, he's got to come out and find something to put up for that utter horse-pish performance against St Mirren. It's, like I say, we, we robbed them. Um, I think that was the first time that I noticed Roos diving the wrong way for a penalty. Um, first of many, I'll say. But, uh, yeah, it's, like you say, it was the first time that he really touched on it. And we knew, I, I sort of knew it was coming. And it's it's always a, a an easy go-to when you've, been in Europe for the first time after a few years and you're trying to assemble a squad that's had a turnover of you know, 12, 13 players. But it wears thin after a while, does it? And these are professional footballers that are playing and training, sorry, training every day. They're fitter than you and I and I'm not sure that travelling to Sweden is going to take all that much out of you. Is that when I feel like you can kind of take that maybe more after you've had three or four games on the road in Europe. Yeah, you know exactly. I think that was our first one of the campaign. And as we, as we touched on, it was Sweden. So it's like an hour and a half mm-hmm. tops on a plane from 
from Aberdeen. It's not really going to be taking it that far out of that many people um, as far as that one goes. But then you put that one to the side. As Gav says, Sabirin's not been an easy place for teams to go this season already. So you, you look at it in the... The cold light day, you get out there with a point. In retrospect, it's perhaps not the worst result in the world. What then follows up, obviously, the Thursday night, a sold-out Pataudry, desperate to will this team into the Europa League group stages for the first time since the 2007-2008 campaign. First starts handed to Jens and McGrath and McGarry, with Shaden Morris coming back in at right wing-back. Um, but as always tends to be the way, a big crowd at Pataudry, big expectation, big game... We just didn't do enough to get the job done. Hecken running out 3-1 winners in the end. Sadiq running riot and then getting sold to AZ Alkmaar the very next day just to really rub salt in the wounds. From our side, Duke Miofsky missed huge, huge chances at key moments in the game. Massive, massive disappointment this one. But on the plus side, we did have 23 shots. <laughs> yeah, it was the start of it, was it? 23 shots. No, it's... Uh, I, I went into that game with a lot of hope. And I thought if we could just nullify Sadiq, we might have a chance. But right away, he was dropping into little pockets of space. And the, the first goal comes from just Shady Mo being asleep. And I think, was it, uh, yeah, Devlin goes to press the ball and just creates a massive gap in behind where Shaden Morris should be covering. Sadiq's just slipped through. Goal. Very, very simple. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't going to be our night, especially like you say, Duke, Majowski, chance after chance. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. And then I would say that Rubicic has a fucking shocker that game. This one goes back as well, Gav. You and I, we, we, we noticed it at the time and it goes back to talk about just how poor our early recruitment was in the window to an extent that we were left in a position where Shaden Morris is having to play right wing back in a game of this magnitude again because it kick off and I don't remember if many many people remember this, but when you when the teams lined up to begin the game, Sadiq was on the right-hand side, Hekin's right-hand side. As soon as they clocked Morris was playing right wing back, they switched them and they pushed Sadiq onto Morris's side and just exploited that area time and time again. And I think you're right, Jamie, you were touching on it earlier on. I felt really sorry for Morris in this game because he's he's never, he's clearly never a right wing back. And, yeah. you know, in a million years is he a right, a right wing back. He's been asked to perform a position he can't do, and he was just left exposed and kind of hung out to dry in this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right to an extent in that. Yeah, he's not a wing back and um, has been asked to do a job that's very unfamiliar to him, but not for the first time this season. I would say there's instances of Shaden Morris just, you know, putting in minimal effort in tracking back an attacker there. Um, I think the first goal was also like as bad because. You know, we'd highlighted it. We'd spoken with um, Christopher and Jonas from the the Ball Club and Hecken podcast, and they'd identified Sadiq as being their star man. And the first goal, he picks the ball up twenty five yards out from goal, and we just give him all the space in the world. There's not even a need to do any anything fancy. He just shifts the ball on his left foot, and you know, scores an absolute raker. Um, so predictable. The defending again, just so very poor. The second goal is is comical. It's a story of the Aberdeen season, though, of losing the ball in the midfield, and one simple pass cuts the defence open completely. Um, and then we top that all off with the fact that Duke gets a, a guilt edge chance to score. Um, again, a goal you'd expect Duke to score 
based on what he did last season. And the effort was just, it was, again, it wasn't a great save from the goalkeeper. It's just Duke hitting the ball yeah, straight, straight at him. Yeah. I was like Jamie. I thought this was going to be a night where a new generation of Aberdeen fans got their, their great European night and we do something special. You think of all the hoops we had to jump through to try and get into the Europa League under, under McInnes where we'd beat good teams and then the challenge would get even tougher the next time around and we just you know never really had a chance this was this was that chance and to be 2-0 down to Hecken was just yeah criminal yeah and this was the game as well I remember I remember looking at Rupesic for the first time and thinking this is a guy who needs an experienced head alongside him in the back line to help marshal him I, I think and I, I still feel this way a little bit about him that you know, that will have been the biggest game that Rubis has ever played in his career. You know, the biggest kind of atmosphere, the biggest, the, the game with the biggest, with the most amount of things riding on it. And to ask him as a relatively inexperienced, certainly inexperienced at a European level, to anchor a back three in that sort of game, I just feel like it was a bad mistake. I think McDonald, McDonald was fixed. He played obviously against St. in the week before. It's, I do feel that Rubis could benefit from having like a McDonald alongside him in the same way that Pollock, I think, benefited from having McDonald alongside him. I think he's just a bit raw at that point. I think he's came on a fair yeah. bit since then. Um, but I would agree, he definitely needs an experience beside him. You could argue, okay, he's 23 or 24, whatever he is. Um, he should be exp- have enough experience by now. But when you look back where he's played, he's not exactly played a ton of games wherever he's been. No. <clears throat> so he's still, he's he's really still very raw. much raw. Yeah, 100%. Or, or raw. raw. For for Parliament's <laughs> sake, um, he's raw. Read raw. <laughs> <He's raw. laughs> um, but hey, we have to dust ourselves down. We have to move on from this one. Pappy Habib gave signs prior to that uh, hecking game, which oh, I've forgotten about. Not registered in time, but makes the bench for our next league game, where managerless Hibs come up with Audrey on a sunny Sunday afternoon. A first start of the season for Connor Barron as well, which again maybe something we, we can come up and talk about later on. Um, but once again, another really poor performance from the Dons. Hibs take the points with goals through their subs, Lafondra and Doige. This was poor, poor, poor fare. But we did get to see a debut for Papi Habu Gay. So, um, every yeah, shot on target that game as well. Yeah, true, true. Um, I don't know, Jamie, did you listen to our show when we had our Belgian journalist friend on to talk about Papi Gay? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I think I, I did. How much of the fear did you have at that moment in time? Because that's the first time. Normally with these things, even when you get a sense off of people that they think a player is horse shit, mm. they're still polite enough to tell you that there might be a player in there. Yeah, he just wouldn't come out right and say, no, <laughs> the guy that you've just spunked 500k on is utter wank. Um, uh, yeah, I did hit a bit of the fear, to be honest. I Living in Belgium, I did as much research as I possibly could on him and he had one season at Cortric where he was half decent yeah. but even then wasn't really lighting any fires to be honest but ugh, if you're <laughs> getting I don't know he, he was horse against the Brock as well in the Aberdeenshire Shield exactly indeed and this Hibs I mean, game was really rank rotten shit wasn't it I mean like this was a Hibs team who let's not forget coming at this like they'd just been humped by Andorran Giants I can't even remember their fucking name now. Escalades? Yeah. Something of that nature? I, I explicitly remember watching this game on Red TV because it was Andy Dornan that was uh, <laughs> oh, doing fuck. the co-coms. 
and fuck, it was when Lafondre scored. He's screaming, you know, his dulcet horse tones. Go, go! No, it's just absolute schoolboy defending from us from Lafondre's first goal. Utter shite, and we made Martin boot polish boil look like prime Ronaldo that game as well. Yeah, this is one of these. I can't even remember. How, I don't even remember how Rubizic stayed on the pitch because there was one moment where did he not basically rugby tackle Yuan round the he neck? Did. I think yeah. in the first half. He looked like, like he was towing a cart horse at that point. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would say actually about Rubizic from that perspective, I do feel like he's actually got a bit more up to speed. Like his pace seems to have improved a little bit in recent weeks. Gav's looking at me really quizzically, but I do feel that I way. Think, I feel you're being very generous in that comment. Possibly, but that defeat left us going into the winter break. Played four in the league, no wins, two draws, two defeats. Starting to get a little bit worried at this point. Um, definitely. I mean, I remember watching this game on Red TV as well uh, on mute because of the co-coms of Andy Dornan <laughs> with uh, Rob McLean making a sensible decision for myself there, and we were really, really bad that day. Um, typically. In games with ourselves and Hibs, home advantage is key. Um, you'll often find the home team will come away the victor. And we just had nothing about us at all. It was just hoofball after hoofball after hoofball to uh, increasingly bemused and frustrated Miofsky and, and Duke. And then when Hibs's version of Sergio Aguero finds space in the box, as every attacker does when we're playing Aberdeen, because we're utter dog shit in defence... That is a game where I do remember texting the group chat around the first half saying that Rubicic is absolutely murder because he looked that way at the time. I mean, Ellie Yuan gave him the absolute runaround that day. Um, in the same way Sadiq had, I've, to go back to Heckin for a brief moment, I've the penalty that Heckin get, which is given as a dive to begin with by the absolute clown of a referee, <laughs> I've never seen a professional defender be skinned so easily. Oh, yeah as Rubic is about three times leading up to that and LEU has the kind of similar sort of player you know quick quick feet change of direction and I thought Rubic we've just we've we've blown it by bringing this guy in and obviously putting so much faith into him and we're just bad and what's it's Fondra and then who scores the second goal Dodge is that a Deutsch. corner is that a corner uh, or like a free yeah. kick set piece again yep corner yeah. Yeah. Uh, easy as then free free I he heads it, he like hits the bar line, doesn't he? Or Roos saves it and then there's like three free headers and then he yeah, yeah, then he knocks it in. in. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. And then of course all we do in response to this is just bring Sokler and Papi Gay on and then just hoof the ball up to them instead. So uh to go from where we were under Robson last season to this kind of just insipid mm-hmm. dog shit in such a quick space of time, it was just like it was really difficult to fathom what had happened. Was it in the aftermath of this you saw Papi Gay cycling down Union Street with a pret draped over his handlebars? Um, on one of the uh, big issue communal bikes, yes. Yeah, excellent. Fucking love it. Can't remember if it was in the, it. in the immediate aftermath, but yes, it was very soon afterwards. I feel like it was really soon afterwards because we just got the, 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 the text in the group chat and you're just like, this has got cult hero all over it, hasn't it? You know what I mean? Um, it's one way to look at it. <laughs> so, yeah, so we head into that um, international break there, let's say, played four in the league, <laughs> no wins, two draws, two defeats. Stefan Gartenman joins up on loan from uh, Midland during the international break. 
he was handed his debut in the next game at Tynecastle, but as is now tradition at Gorgie, uh, we capitulate to provide Hearts with quite possibly their easiest three points of the season. Goals from Oda and then Boyce, who managed to scrape himself off the treatment table long enough to net one. Either side of halftime secures the win for the Jambos. Five games in the league now, still no wins. And this performance in particular was one that, coupled with the Hibs performance, I remember just thinking, we could be in real fucking danger at this moment yeah. in time because we just don't look anywhere near like a cohesive footballing unit and we're not scoring goals and we're conceding stupid goals and that's just a recipe for fucking disaster at any sort of level of football. I think it was this game where I thought maybe we'd need to take Rubicic out for a brief period, but Barry being Barry, absolutely not. <laughs> he knows better. The The goal that, uh, is it Oda scores yeah. the first goal? Yeah. He, again, Rubicic goes, he just has to, must kill. You know, like He just gets dragged out, sucked out, and just Shankland pings it off to, to Boyce, Boyce wide, Oda, and goal. So simple. Because he doesn't need to go and press that bloody high, but it's just something in his DNA. He's got to go fucking attack something. And during that game, I remember, was we switched to a back four and we were still fucking humping that ball as far as humanly possible. And like you, it was after this game I thought, we're in fucking trouble here. We can't pass a ball five, ten yards. Big trouble. This and Hibs, it was just so atypical of what we'd come to expect under Robson. Because the one thing we had when he first took over was fight and and grit and defensive determination to see games out. And like like Jamie's just said there, they're just such easy goals we're giving away. And we're playing into especially at Tynecastle against Hearts, we're playing into their hands so much so by just lumping it long to Miofsky and and Duke and giving them no chance. And meanwhile, Leighton Clarkson and McGrath or Barron, whoever it is that's in the middle, is just watching the ball sail over their head, just thinking, how the hell am I supposed to influence this game? Um, yeah, one win. I have Sterling Albion in the League Cup. That's all we had at that point. And at that point, you're thinking, I'm certainly thinking anyway, very poor recruitment on the evidence of what we've seen so far um, and the players we've let go not replaced yeah uh, a lot of warning signs going off in my head this was the point as well I think I remember now looking back to see just what our record had been since Robson had become permanent manager and at that point I think we'd only won one league game which was the St Mirren one the 3-0 at the back end of the, the season before and it was like this is not this just feels like it's on the wrong trajectory all of a sudden and then just to kind of really like compound matters, you're like, great, next up after two absolutely howling performances domestically, uh, our opening group stage game in the Conference League, and on paper the hardest possible fixture in the tournament as we play Eintracht Frankfurt, who were the highest ranked team in the competition awaited at the Stadium. Now, all in all, for anyone that made it to Frankfurt, great trip all in, as European trips always end up being. And to be fair, we actually acquitted ourselves pretty well in Germany, despite falling behind to an early Marmouche penalty. Dante Povara picking quite the time and place to net his first Don's goal. Heartbreak in the end, though. Koch winning a free header with 30 minutes to go. But we do have chances, and we maybe we should have picked up a point. Um, late chances, in particular for Sokler, go begging. A spirited performance all in this one. Um, it was obviously the first time we saw the 5-4-1 deployed. It was still, though, four defeats on the spin in all competitions. One win in seven. Did you guys see enough in this one? I mean, Graham and I were there, but did you guys see enough in this one that that deservedly took a little bit of pressure off Robson to a certain extent? I think beyond two individual moments, it was a very, very good Aberdeen performance against, you know, 
the top-ranked UEFA side in the tournament. I think at that time, second favourites to go and win the whole thing. Um, the amount of like money that's been invested in that Frankfurt team and the players that they've sold um, for big money as well shows what they've got in terms of, well, one, budget, and then, you know, calibre of player. Um, and then when we go play that kind of 5 for one setup and started fairly well, we're getting our foot on the ball, trying to create chances and trying to get link up with Boyamiowski. And it's the first goal is, you know, don't want to hark on the negatives too much here, but the first goal, Jack McKenzie's in complete control of the situation and he just switches off. And before you know it, it's a penalty, Stonewaller. Um, at that point, you're kind of fearing the worst given how frail we've been defensively in the league and also against Hecken as well. So for then us to break and Dante Pulvara, the redemption arc to begin, get his first goal for the club. Uh, was just incredible. Um, it's definitely a moment that I had the massive fear of, of missing out there. And I thought we were really good from that point on and held a really good shape. Frankfurt had a lot of the ball, for sure, but they weren't really posing as much in the way of problems. And the longer the game goes on, the more you think, well, maybe we'll get another chance and we could pull off a minor miracle here. I've talked about this before. Um, I think that letting Dyson Maeda get a free header in your box being as small as he is uh, against Celtic is criminal for Frankfurt's biggest player to get a free header in the box. That ultimately is the the winning goal for for Frankfurt. It's just it's not good enough. You're not gonna you're not gonna do anything defending like that. And so that that left a sour note on what I thought was a spirited, classy Aberdeen performance that showed this team has got something about it. And you're kind of at that point wondering why you haven't seen more of that in the in the domestic competitions. Uh, Gav, your fear of missing out was well fucking merited because let me tell you, when Dante did poke that one at the top of the net, it was fucking great, great stuff um, all around. I do think I've still got a scar on my shin from that one, to be fair. What is it about football stadiums that have to make steps slippy? Especially when they're beer soaked. <laughs> what the fuck's that all about? Um, it did feel, Jamie, that there were positives you could take out of this performance in Germany. It certainly showed that there was a team that could play in that kind of disciplined manner and a system and a shape when they're out of possession that made it difficult for a decent team to do much against us, if nothing else. Yeah, 100%. And like you say, it was a very, very decent Aberdeen performance. And, well, before we go any further, Dante Povara, the best mullet the SPL has ever seen. I'll die on that hill. Um, Yeah, it was a great performance, actually. And I remember after that match thinking, okay. We've, we definitely have something about us here and like you say we can defend against teams that are going to have more possession than us and my only fear after this which turned out to be true was I just hope we don't go 5-4-1 against teams <laughs> where we should be controlling i.e. with all disrespect in the world to St Johnston etc yeah that was my fear from it just Great performance. Okay, let's go back. Let's try and you know put the building blocks in place for better performances when we're not up against it as as we were in that game. Game, but great performance all round. And yeah, um, like Gav, uh, Gav says, I'm just a bit miffed that their biggest player gets a goal from it. Arguably, <laughs> our crux all fucking season set pieces just yeah. shite. And the thing you'd imagine Scottish teams on the continent should deal 
relatively well with his yeah. set pieces is basically what you think it should happen um <clears throat> we come back off that one because like i say even despite the spirit of performance we're still at this point you know just four defeats on the spin one win in seven just when we needed a result we got one we didn't start this game particularly well but ends up in a 4-0 win against ross county Next time out goes from Miofsky. Our first goal for Jamie McGrath. I think this might have been the point which McGrath board might have been wheeled out for the first time. Because he had a good game in Frankfurt as well, as I recall. A first of the season for Duke, even though we contrived to make that as difficult as fucking possible um, for him to tuck away. And that was then followed up by a big win, or what felt like a big win, certainly in the Highlands as well, on the Wednesday uh, in the League Cup. A 2-1 win this time. Goals from Shinny and Sockler sealed the win. Ultimately going into that week those were the two must wins and we got them and i think that bought robson a little bit more breathing room didn't it at that moment in time but it also that this was the thing that for me that it was like that the result against county really showed up this idea about playing the, the thursday sunday perhaps wasn't or doesn't need to be this excuse that it's become this campaign no it's not an excuse because as you say it's proven i think barry was just lucky in that we had quite possibly the easiest team we could have asked for to come off that European defeat to, to bounce back from. Um, yeah, first game up at home, sorry, we absolutely battered them. Still to this day, I have no idea how the fuck James Brown stayed on that field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> murder, <laughs> murder charge and fucking Johnny Hayes, Jesus Christ. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. We shout out to Dick Jensen when he's overhead assist. Class. <laughs> That's right, yeah, 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 absolutely. Forgot all about that until now. Gav, huge yes. couple of wins this too. Um, again, like at home against County, second half thought we played quite well. The goal McGrath scores is a really nice goal. Um, I think Miofsky's goal as well was a, was a really, really smart finish. Again, just kind of highlighting the class of the guy. Graham Shinney with an absolute thunder bastard in Dingwall, followed up by Esther Sokler's first goal for the club. It suddenly did feel like there might be, there is something in there. Like it felt like we'd taken a bit of a bit of a bounce off the Frankfurt result. Or performance, sorry, I should say. Yeah, uh, like I said, I think there was enough, there was more than enough positives to take out of the Frankfurt performance. And I think that's when, yeah, McGrath starts to come into a game uh, to see Dante Polvara back involved and being influential, being very good, was a huge uh, plus point. Is this kind of the time when he gets his new contract? And we're all sort of looking with a sort of sense of puzzlement as to what he's done to earn, what, a two-and-a-half or three-year extension to his deal. Um, and then he comes and shows up why why we've shown him that that faith in him. I think, yeah, we weren't particularly great in the opening half hour against County at home, uh, but the goal was a, a huge turning point, and then we just kind of turned the screw. And, you know, I think at that point, I thought County were one of the worst teams in the league, and that's, um, yeah, that's held up over the, over the, coming, over the coming months. To the point where their manager is now going out and saying that they're a hundred times worse than Morecambe. So good luck for the next half of the season there, Derek. Yeah, especially because I believe like loads of them have handed transfer requests in. Apparently, so it's the Derek Adams, such as the but this always happened with him at Ross County. Every window yeah, they a huge true. turnover of players, and then they'd learn after six months that he was a dick. It must be mad, like when you think that like their previous guy was like a fucking bona fide racist, and Derek Adams is the bit that's made them go, you know what? Why are we here? Derek Adams didn't fuck around making it onto the roster board, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. And then but it felt like great because it was like the we've just put in that kind of performance against them. Um, it's probably one of Rubens' best performances up to that point where he deals with the boy Jordan yep. White very well. 
he was excellent that game against Jordan White, to be fair. He was really, really good against them. And the thing is, you know that Ross County aren't going to change the way they play at home versus the way they play away. It's going to be much the same. So they were ideal op- opposition. And, you know, of course, we just, as a club, we want to be in there with a shout of winning trophies. So it felt like on another day, um, going up to Dingwall in midweek could have been a real a real stiff challenge. But I came into that game with a lot of confidence. And that was aided by the fact that Shinny gets that goal. Esther Sokler starts to show up a little bit what he's got to offer. Good goal from Mazzal. Again, frustrating that, you know, what they get a late goal to make it a bit more nervous than it should have been. Story of the season, of course. But yeah, just wins on the board, progression in in the cup. I mean, that's just all that you want. And you're starting to see signs that there is a half-decent team within this this group that we've put together. Jack Baldwin, red card as well. Who'd have fucking thunk it? Bizarre, isn't it? (laughs) Up next, a trip to Ibrox. And we roll back out the same 5-4-1 shape we'd used in Frankfurt. And it works a treat as we delivered a counter-attacking masterclass to, to secure a 3-1 win and govern goals from Gartman, McGrath and McKenzie. This was, possibly still is, arguably the highlight of the season to date. Yeah, and of course we uh, we boxed up Mikey Beale and sent him on a first-class delivery to Sunderland, the poor bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, this was the moment we went... The five four one, like the performance in Frankfurt, had some merit in this idea. But if you could take this style, this way of playing, and take it on the road to you know Ibrox, maybe to Parkhead, you could actually do some damage to these teams. And we showed it in this game here. I thought we were excellent on the day. Um, good, a well worked set piece that gets us the lead from Gartman. And second half, I mean, it, it was a it was a Sevco side in trouble going through some uh, a difficult spell as it was but we fucking made them pay for it and despite the fact that they they get a goal back um later on we kind of looked comfortable i felt as well throughout this game it was it's one of those games it's, it's about as comfortable as i felt with us at ibrox in a long 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 time yeah i'm with you on that one as well the 5-4-1 system i'm not opposed to it at all against teams where we know we're going to be starved of possession and this worked a treat. Focusing on set pieces, but we scored a cup. Well, all goals come from a set piece, did they? Or off the back of I think so, yeah. Certainly, or but they come off honest, the back of winning. They come off the back of winning second balls and dominating after, you know, yeah. second balls, third balls, etc. So, yeah, I think from memory, I can't quite remember how McKenzie's one comes about, but I think you're probably right. Just having a bit of grit and determination and wanting to beat those shower fucks. But. <laughs> I mean, to top off that day, you know, Jack McKenzie running 50, 60 yards just to absolutely empty Connor Goldson was the best fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Stick uh, that bastard in the Louvre. I was going to say, Gav, I mean, you're not, a, you're not a big Jack McKenzie fan, Gav, but this was probably Jack no. McKenzie's finest 90 minutes in an Aberdeen shirt, it's probably fair to say. Um, yeah, I would certainly agree. And that's kind of this point where we're starting to talk about perhaps he could make that left wing back position his own. Um, I, are we talking about Hibs tonight? No. <laughs> yeah. So much for that idea. Let's focus on the positives, Gav. Let's focus on the positives. It was great. I mean, and also, of course, like, it was what was great about it is like, it, I felt like we had belief in ourselves in this game. It wasn't like we got 1 0 up and just were counting our blessings and just waiting for yeah. the inevitable onslaught where Rangers come and attack us and get to get a goal or a penalty or whatever, you know, as, they, as they usually do. Um, 
like this, I think I remember commenting at the time that the second goal comes from a corner or a set piece and we lose the ball initially and quite often you'll see our players just retreat as fast as possible. We are brave, we keep bodies in the box and that leads to McGrath getting the chance to save. If McGrath doesn't put away the rebound, then Miofsky's there. It was just, yeah, it was, um, it's hard to kind of put your finger on it exactly what it was, but it's just indicated to me that this team, the manager of the team must know that there's talent and there's a team that can win games in here in different styles. And, you know, we can carry this on to into Europe, into future away games in Glasgow, and perhaps even we've come across a system that will work well for us if we can get to Hamden to play one of these two. Or not. Yeah, what I liked about this performance as well is obviously we go 2-0 up, Rangers get one back through Sima, but it doesn't turn it like kind of backs to the wall for those last last 15 minutes where we're trying to just desperately defend a 1-0 lead. We keep trying to get up the park. We keep trying to hit them on the counter and that's ultimately, like I say, what leads to Jack McKenzie's goal. And let's be honest, what more do you want for an Aberdeen, an Aberdonian, Aberdeen Sherlune to score a third goal at Ibrox and a 3-1 win? And top off with a wee little roly poly at the end. I mean, fucking class stuff. I was just going to say, what more do you want? It's maybe not the forward roll at the end of it, but uh, fair play, Alan. He's done what hundreds of thousands of us would have loved to have done in our lifetime. So fair play to the boy. I'm still amazed he didn't suffer some kind of neck injury with that forward roll. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, arguably our best chance to secure a win in the Conference League group stages as HJK Helsinki arrived at Pataudry. Um Again, you know, we need to put respect on on the team. You know, they are reigning Finnish champions once again. Um, and they were seeded ahead of us. You know, we were the pot four team in the group. I think, and realistically, and I, I, I looked at this earlier on, we were the only one of two pot four teams that actually overperformed in the Conference League group stages this season who finished above bottom, uh, bottom spot in their group. So, you know, there is a level of merit to be said around the kind of way that the pots all work out but again this was one of these games that just big crowd at Pataudry big expectation just wasn't to be Boyan Radulovic I can't believe he's only been able to get a, jo- a gig at Huddersfield by the way like what the fuck but never mind scores for Helsinki just after the hour mark and it took a really really good head to finish from Majowski to plus level with 11 minutes to go but this one again just felt like a real opportunity missed to kind of get a first win on the board in Europe, give ourselves a fighting chance to come out of the group. I mean, Jamie, I don't know about you, but I felt like we maybe approached this one a little bit too cautious a manner at the time. Yeah, it's just, it was a night of what could have been, I suppose. Like, looking back, chances. We had so much chances to put that game to bed. Boyan Radulovic, I'm not entirely sure he scoped out Yorkshire or Huddersfield in particular before he signed there, like, bastard but yeah we did definitely went far too cautious I think this is what I was saying earlier about maybe when we should be having a go at teams but we think okay maybe the I can't remember if we set up with a 5-4-1 in this game but maybe we shouldn't be going that you know cautious at home in a game that would probably sh- like you say all due respect we probably should be going and attacking and really trying to get something from the game. But yeah, we just, like I say, it was just a game of what could have been. And that was uh, another one from Barry to be chalking up to the, oh, the chances, the chances, the chances. 
I'm inclined to think that we did set up a 5 4 1 that night. Yeah, I think we did as well. I, I think we went 3 5 2, I think, but never mind. It's one of these, isn't it, Gav, that Helsinki came clearly for a point. That's all they wanted. They didn't really try to threaten too much. They got one moment, they got one real chance through Radulovic, which they take. It's a really class finish. It's poor defending by us, I think, by Rubicic and by Awatsi Jensen, might be McKenzie. I can't remember if I kind of fell asleep um, at the throw in. I mean, it comes from a throw-in on the main stand side, and I think it's criminal to lose a goal from a throw-in at any sort of level. Um, but we just didn't really feel like we took the game to them enough, given that I don't think they really came with any sort of ambition to try and win the game. Um, yeah, I'm, I've just consulted with the interwebs, and we did set up a 3-5-2 uh, with that okay. midfield combination of Clarkson, Shinny and McGrath, which is so notoriously ruthless in the centre <laughs> of the park. Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, Helsinki were... I expected them to be a lot better than they were. Um, you know, they'd won some like four of the last five finished titles, ultimately ended up finishing this season as champions again. I thought they'd be a much better technical team than they turned out to be. Um, they did seem very content to just come here, sit in for the draw, and, you know, if they get lucky, they get a chance the boy Radulovic is going to put it away. Um, the goal they do score, it's a throw-in. Their right winger picks the ball up. He's surrounded by about four Aberdeen players and runs through them all like they're not even there. Feeds the ball in. And yeah, like I say, their number nine, their star player is left alone once again. Uh, it's a great finish from him, but he shouldn't have the opportunity to even make that finish. And we were just so... Uh, just such a drab Aberdeen performance. Such just... Mm. So little imagination. Even our goal is hugely fortuitous. It's a long punt from Richard Jensen that the Hoyaka defender doesn't deal with at all. And, you know, Miofsky's good enough to make chicken salad out of that shit. But, yeah, you could tell. I, I think I remember leaving that game thinking that if a game of football deserved zero points to be awarded to either team, this that was, was it. Because it. it was a really, really bad performance. And... Ultimately, when you see how Helsinki performed the rest of the group, you just look back and think it's just a massive missed opportunity for us. Absolutely. Uh, the Euro hangover continues the following weekend. We had a, a beleaguered St. Johnston travel to Pataudry. They didn't have a win in their seven league games coming in this one. They only had three points on the board full stop. They'd only scored three goals in those seven games. Steve McLean, under huge pressure, they came, they did a number on us, it's fair to say. Left with a point after a drab as fuck, nil-nil, draw in the rain. Um, this one perhaps noticeable because it's the last time we saw Vicente Bajouin in a matchday squad at Pataudry. Another absolute stinker and just a real downer to bring us back down to earth with after what had been, you know, he put the HJK result to one side, you know, a good performance in Frankfurt, the wins over County, the win at Ibrox. Okay, we don't get a victory over HJK, but we do kind of take a point at the very least. But this one just felt like another couple of steps backwards for me. Pish. That's all I can summarise it by. Utter pish. Um, yeah, on you go. Uh, I would just, yeah, shite. That's all I'll go with. Pish and shite. The one positive though is we got to see Stevie May with a bald head. Uh, that was something, yeah. Yeah. Another game at where Stevie May didn't score a goal. I think he summed it up when Majowski, the overhead kick, he, what is it, three, five, six yards from goal and then overhead kick and manages to bounce it over the bar. I mean, I mean, we 
don't get the goal. Was it Considine giving us a, a wee present with his own goal? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it, I think it was Duke, was it? Duke must Duke. have been offside yeah. by an absolute yeah. ball here. No. Sorry, I keep calling him Duke. Duke? Duke? I don't know. <laughs> just, yeah, just remembering just the state they were in. And it's not as though this turned things around for Stephen McLean. Like, he sacked very quickly after this game. I just, you should, there should be no way in which an Aberdeen team with Miofsky, with Duke, with Leighton Clarks on the pitch should be so devoid of imagination um, and a, a cohesive attacking strategy. And we just... I mean, again, we're talking about a game with St. Johnston home where we've got three centre-backs on the park, um, a number of defensive-minded players just shelling the ball, shelling the ball and shelling the ball and hoping it'll eventually work out for us. Um, yeah, a really, a really poor performance. And just... I think this is the point where you just get really frustrated as an Aberdeen fan because you sort of know that this team is capable of so much more. And this is yeah. no longer a point of... It's no longer a point of, you know, we're struggling with the travel, we're struggling with the fixtures, the relentless games. It's not what the manager is telling us where it's just we can't get time on the training field. And it's not even so much that the players, that the new players are taking so long to gel together. This is the point where you start to think that these players are being restricted. They're being limited in what they can do by mm. the strategy of the manager. And that's a sort of strange feeling as a fan that doesn't have to feel like it doesn't happen all that often you're always kind of looking at the players quite a, quite a lot of the time um and in this case you're like i don't think these guys are even allowed to express themselves this was the one for me that i remember just being really i'd been starting to have doubts about robson and his kind of ability to influence games from the touchline and make changes during the game that you know, actively made a difference to what actually happened. And ironically, we'll talk about changes that made a difference to the game in a minute or two about the next game. But I remember looking at it and thinking, you know, Duke lasted the full 90 minutes in this game. And Duke had one of those Duke games where he just wasn't really involved at all because we were shelling the ball long to him. He hooked McGrath and Shinney on 56 minutes, but he replaced them with Clarkson and Povar. It was very much like like for like rather than going, you know what, I'm going to get Clarkson on the pitch instead of maybe Shinney. I'll leave Connor Barron just to screen the midfield. And maybe even put Esther Sokler in instead of Jim McGrath at that point if he didn't think he was getting enough at McGrath further at the pitch. And give Sokler, you know, 30, 35 minutes to have a run at a St. Johnson team who had been really poor up to that date. Sokler didn't take to the pitch until the last 10 minutes, you know? And it's just like, <clears throat> those were the types of games where I was just like, these guys are just not getting a real chance to even show what they can kind of do in a game where you'd expect them to try and do that. And that, that this was these were the warning signs for me starting to come out about, about Robson. This is also the game I'm pretty sure where Sokler comes on for Nicky Devlin and rather yeah. than going three up top or whatever, uh, he put Polvara to right wing back. Yeah, Such yeah, was right. our, um, <laughs> how adamant Fucking he was of sticking to this formation no matter what the circumstances. Um, yeah, it was just uh, yeah, a hugely hugely frustrating and again it was a game where you've watched nothing be delivered by Aberdeen and then you come in the manager's talking about how we tweaked a couple of things at half time and you know we could have easily scored two or three goals and you're just wondering what game is this guy watching because <laughs> we yeah St Johnston deserved their point for that day Absolutely. well it's that thing is it where St Johnston didn't come to try and get anything other than a point other than nil nil they, they, they didn't threaten us at all as I remember no shots on target from them in the 90 minutes. Um, also, from our perspective, we only had three 
in that game as well, um, which I think probably says a lot. Really poor stuff. And then to round things off, Jamie, with you, um, perhaps the most archetypical performance of Barry Robson's time in charge of Aberdeen, a home tie with POK in the Conference League. We deployed the same 5 for one shape deployed in Frankfurt and Ibrox, and I'll put my reservations about doing that at home to one side for a moment. The shape in the system generally did the job. We, we gave up plenty of possession to the Greeks, um, but we restricted them in the main to kind of speculative efforts in the first half. There was uh, one chance that Constantelius had where he, did he hit the post or did he just put it past the post? He does like he a spin the on the ball and then hits the post, yeah. Yeah, okay, hit the post. Apart from that, though, they were kind of restricted to pretty speculative efforts. You could see that we're starting to get frustrated. And then we produced a couple of moments of real quality on the break early in the second half. We managed to get a two in a lead. And we appear to be cruising at that point. Goals from Miofsky, a really, really, really good goal from Dante Povara on the, break, yeah, on the break as well. And then it all goes horribly wrong. The inexplicable decision to make that triple switch in one go on 72 minutes, clearly disrupting the side's rhythm and set up. That's compounded within 60 seconds. Yet some of the slip that allowed Constantelius to drive through, squaring it to Despidov to make it 2-1. Now, in fairness, we should have had a penalty five minutes later. Mackenzie brought down the box, but even VAR failing to intervene on that one before Paoki snatched the points late on. Verena with a drilled effort that deflected off of Johnny Hayes after what I can only describe as some absolutely fucking abysmal defending by him in the first place. And then Rubicic needlessly gifting a penalty to Pauk in the dying minutes. Schwab scoring that one with the last kick of the game. That meant that Paoki maintained their 100% record in the group. It all but ensured there was no danger we'd have European football beyond Christmas as well. I mean, fucking hell. Um, where'd you start with this one? I mean, that triple sub for me it still rankles massively with me to this day. It just pointed to that level of inexperience that we had in the dugout at this moment in time. Well, first things first, I don't think we're ever going to get away from Rubicic and needless penalty ever being that far apart from each other. But I think, Gary, you said that St. Johnston game was maybe where you first started having doubts. This was the game for me where I thought, oh my fucking God. Like, what is he thinking? Because if it, this isn't fucking football manager. You can't just save it and then re-fucking start the match after it. He's went and pulled off three of the best players on the night. One after, like, not, not even done it one after the other. He's not even bothered to stagger it. He's just thought, fuck it, I'm pulling him off. We'll haul three boys on and we'll see what happens. That was... F- oh, I'm getting fucking raging just even thinking about it. That was criminal. <laughs> that was fucking criminal what he did that night. And I don't think anybody fucking held him to task for it. Like Nobody questioned it. No. Why the fuck did you pull three off at once? I can understand if you want to give boys a rest. I get that. But surely to Christ, you can stagger that. Break it up, break up the play, stagger it. Don't let Pale get into any sort of rhythm. That's the way that any. I remember arguing because remember like during the week after, I remember loads of people arguing with me about this on Twitter about, oh, it's just three changes. What difference does it make? And I was like, because go and show me any other team in Europe this week who would be two 0 up at home. I would make a triple sub like that. They would maybe decide to want to make three subs and they stagger them over seven, eight minutes. You know, if you're five 0 up, maybe. Play. Ah, exactly. But let the other team. Not get into yeah. a rhythm. It, like, for me, there was two things that happened. He shot himself because POK made... A, did they make a triple change or did they make a double change? They yeah, made a they big did. change triple. after we went 2-0 uh, they made, they made a triple change. 
Yeah, and I remember people like, well, but they did a triple change and it worked for them. It's like, yeah, but when you're chasing a game, mm-hmm. it's entirely different. When you're winning the game and you're controlling the game, you don't do this. At that point as well, though, I remember thinking to myself, Steve Agnew was a guy who was being held up as being such a massive linchpin about what happened last season. And I remember thinking, Agnew's a guy with plenty of experience. Surely the fuck, he must be sitting there going, no, stagger these out a bit. Even if... Like there was loads of chat about, you know, oh, Povara was fucked and he was running on empty. Fine, take him off number one. Do it that way. That was also where I had massive question marks about Agnew's role in this whole thing. I think Agnew's uh, role is nothing more than to play fucking magic eight ball to Barry. I'm, I've yet to see him shaking his fucking dome at the side of the head, but I'm waiting for it at some point this season. Should I make a sub? Outlook seems bleak. Ah, fuck it, we'll just hide <laughs> on with what we've got. <laughs> I think I will um, start this part by talking about the positives, if I may. Okay. Because <laughs> I too was perhaps maybe a little bit uh, suspect of the way we sh- shaped up with the five four one. But I think what you saw in the first half is that Pauk were on a different level to Helsinki, both as a team and with some of their individuals, and the boy Constantelius especially. But we were frustrating them. There was a lot of side-to-side passing. It was like watching... Stephen Glass's Aberdeen team from the other from the other perspective, which is a lot more fun. Um, but like the boy, he like breaks like once or twice. He hits the post. He tries to lift the ball of Roos, who just stands tall and takes it in. On the whole, yeah, I didn't feel like they were causing us the kind of threat that you maybe expect a team of that level to do so. And then in the second half, when Miofsky gets that goal, and then so quickly uh, we break and Dante Polvara gets that moment in front of the in front of the red shed. Uh, Pitogia was electric that night, and I start to think to myself that, okay, we botched it against Hecken, but this is going to be the night for this generation of Aberdeen fans. And you know, Connor Barron was running the show at that point. Um, Dante was definitely running on fumes. And, yeah, I'm just going to like regurgitate what you guys have said there, and like, just use some experience, take a little bit of consideration and just break this game up now. Do whatever we can, shit house whatever possible, take subs, get the subs to take as long as possible as well. Um, and so then, yeah, to make this triple change of the way we did it, just to bring Johnny Hayes on at that point as well. I mean, I do look at the bench and it's it's a pretty, um, it's limited, I think, in terms of options. Um don't think you're necessarily going to give Ordari as Aberdeen debut at that point, but stranger things maybe have happened. Um, and then again, I just remember like Miofsky got told to go off the main South Stand side and he's coming past the Red Shed and we're giving him the ovation that his performance deserved and you just look up and suddenly they're clean through and the boys just tapped it to his his mate to the side and it's 2-1 and you're just thinking, wait, what just, what just happened there? And from that point, it kind of then... It was a creeping sense of inevitability was going to come. Just fell apart. I mean, we, we shouldn't forget about the VAR piece. You know, the the, the, the the McKenzie penalty is a penalty any day of the week, twice on Sundays. It does put a different slant on the game if that gets given and we tuck it away. But it is the proper if Manny had bollocks suggestion here, isn't it? I just, I, I still, that triple sub, I just, I can't get, I can't get past it and I don't think I ever will <laughs> it's just I think the thing about it is like yeah it was a penalty um, at the time I wasn't so sure because just from where we were I wondered if maybe Mackenzie had initiated the contact 
himself, but then when you just look back on it and the fact that it wasn't even checked by VAR just boggles your mind. But for me, you can't be 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go and concede three goals and be complaining about anything other than your own deficiencies. And again, like if there was a creeping sense of inevitability when they got the goal back and then when you know Johnny Hayes does whatever he thinks he's doing uh, in trying to clear the ball and then trying to block the ball and, of course, deflecting it into the back of the net, then I was like, right, yeah, panics. This is, this is time to panic. This is Kent Brockman crack open people's heads and feast on the goo inside time and then yeah well Rubicic did what Rubicic does best and also I will just say once again I, I omitted to mention this part so the heckin 3-1 game at Patodri when your man scores the penalty in the last few minutes I left straight away you did which is yeah. one of the f- one of two occasions in the last 20 years I'm going to come leaving an Aberdeen game early because I shouted for f- one minute the ball's going here the ball is going to his <laughs> left. There's absolutely no reason to believe this guy's body shape is putting it that way. Oh, he's dived the wrong way. So in that yeah. moment, I have absolutely zero belief that Kelrus is saving this penalty from Pauk. And did he dive the wrong way? Probably. I <laughs> don't even think he dived. Did he not just kind of like kneel well, he down? Stand still. Uh, the boy just I can't remember I need to go back and look at it I'm sure that he just like kneeled and the boy just like side footed it I can't remember I need to go back and look you maybe thought the guy was going for a cheeky paneka you boys keep talking I'm going to review that moment okay there we go um, <clears throat> so I mean Jamie that, that brings us now neatly to the midway point of the season to date you'll be delighted to know <coughs> you can get the rest of your Sunday evening back in a minute or two at this stage in the campaign like, how were you feeling? Like, we were eighth in the table, nine points on the board for our opening eight games, already seven points behind the team who were in the third at this point in St Mirren, joint bottom of our conference league group, but we were in the League Cup semi-final, so, you know. Yeah. There, there well, should be diving in for absolutely it, no reason there. Okay, <laughs> got no. ourselves a PK. Right, left footer, Rusa standing tall. What's he going to do? And... Yeah, he falls forward. Yeah, so I thought I thought he just like <laughs> yeah. he just went. Ugh. He crumples to his side, falls forward. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Well, to to answer your question, at that point in the season, I still ever the, the optimist, I suppose. I still thought, okay, that's let let Europe get done and by with. Once we start focusing and, as Barry likes to say, getting back on that training pitch, which is another thing that sort of grips my shite a wee bit. It's because these are professional footballers and how in the name of Jesus Christ are you not getting them on a training field? I mean, you've got them six days a week. So, I don't know. I'd love to know the inside inside details of that. But anyway, um, I was still optimistic. I thought if we could get Europe out of the way with and just concentrate on the league form, we'll get some sort of rhythm going and will kick on but it it just seems to have this recurring theme that it's shite for a few games it's fucking dire for another couple then we get a win and then everybody seems to think okay right now we're going to kick on but to be honest I'm, now at this point in the ste- season I'm well fucking past it I'm beyond it just do what you need to do get him to fuck like, I've had enough but back then it was I was still on the, the sense of yeah, he, he can be all right. 
And don't get me wrong, yeah. I want to see him succeed. Like like every Don's fan, I want to see him succeed. But I'm just not convinced at this point. And at that point, I was optimistic. I think it's fair enough. I mean, let's wrap things up. Let, let's say, um, I thought it'd be good, Jamie. I'm going to quickly give you this rapid fire, quick assessment of the players in the squad to the winter break. So not just the games we've looked at here, just right the way through the winter break. Marks okay. out of 10. Quick fire for these guys. It's right, right the way through the squad. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Traditional scoring method as well. Ten being the highest, one being the lowest, just to make okay. sure we're clear on that. So, starting at the back, Kelrus. 2.5. Ooh, 2.5. Nicky Devlin. 8.3. Nice. I- I'm enjoying the scientific nature that's going to this. Jack McKenzie. 6.4. Graham Shinney. 6.8. Was that sorry I didn't catch it? 6.8. Uh, Big Dick Jensen. 6.9. Oh, nice. <laughs> Stephen Gartman. Uh, 6.4. Uh, Jamie McGrath. 8.2. Ooh, nice. Gav, where would you have Jamie McGrath just out of interest? Um, 7.5. Okay, there we go. Uh, Connor Barron, Jamie. Difficult one because he's not played, but that's not through any fault of his own. But when he has played, solid nine. Bojan Miofsky. Four million and twelve. Four point zero zero zero. <laughs> Leighton Clarkson. Six point nine. Uh, Duke. Six point five. Here's the big hitters now coming in because you're getting past the traditional squad numbers. Um Happy, happy game. <laughs> Fucking Jesus. Is that, is that <laughs> you a... were in Helsinki, so... <sighs> Fuck me. You've had 45 minutes of the... The Habib Gay show. Um, yeah. I'll go minus 7.9248. 7.9248, thank you. There we go, lovely. Jimmy McGarry. Ah, to be honest, I'm on a fence for Jimmy McGarry. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's shit. Let's say six point five as well. Okay, <laughs> Johnny's. Oh fucking hell! Um, for the ability to be an OAP, um, ten for his <laughs> ability on a footballing field as in he as he is in decline, we'll go six point zero flat. Okay, it's a shame, isn't it? Are yeah. you the same as us? We're yeah. just like I uh, just 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 call it a day. Broken hearted, like it's just. Go and do something with the youth team and, and let, us, yeah. let us remember the good times. Yeah. Give this lad a bag of oats, put yeah. a bag over his head and shoot him in the yeah. head. Turn him to glue. <laughs> of course, I need to be a question. He does like the nags. So anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um, Reese Williams. Oh, fucking hell. Um, ability in Soul Bar, 10 out of 10. Um, a minus... A s- Minus nine. As signings go, is that one of the more bizarre ones for you? Baffling. Or just like... He's Klopp. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I, I, Klopp's came out this week and said... I feel... The, the player that he knows would, would start every week. It's like, well, the player that you know didn't have soul bar in Liverpool. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it just talks to the, the quality of the establishment. Yeah. And Aberdeen, Aberdeen City Tourist Board should be fucking making the most of this. See, so... Um, the worst thing is that Reese Williams now does he now fall behind Matty Longstaff 
in the shit EPL loanies we've had. Like, Matty Longstaff at least turned out on a couple of occasions. No, I wish Matty Longstaff never played for Aberdeen. I'd remember Matty Longstaff a lot more fondly if he never played for us. I agree, but, you know, he at least got on the pitch. Uh, to the detriment of everyone. And didn't make an arse <laughs> of it against the Brock, so... Yeah, you weigh these things up, Gav. Um, Reese Williams never cost us games against Dundee United. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> this is true. Uh, Esther Zoukler. Uh, seven, flat. Seven. I like the suggestion by somebody last week that if we do sell Miofsky to somebody, we should just pack Esther Zoukler off to them and hopefully they don't <laughs> notice he's not actually the same guy. I think there's a player in there, <laughs> to be fair. I think there might be. I'd just like to see more of yeah. him. Would be what I'd like to see. Sheshe uh, Momo. Fucking hell, his crossing and football manager must be fucking in the minuses as well. Although it's it's the last game he was quite he was he was not too bad. Shea Momo will give a six point five. Six point five, okay, lovely. I feel it's uh, the most backhanded compliment possible to a winger when people are like, Holy fuck, you put in a good cross. <laughs> I know, I know. It was his Livy when he threw one in the box and I was like, That was a good fucking ball. That like really surprised and you're like, That's not a good sign, is it? That's not a good sign. Um it's also not a great sign about how our season's gone when a guy beats a defender, like beats a fullback and you go, Fuck Yeah. I've never oh. seen that all season. Um Dante Povara. Oh the mullet gets a solid five million. Um I'm going to give him a 7.9 as well. I've been impressed with Paul Vara any time he's played. I think he's really yeah. started to become a, a, a well-rounded midfielder for us and I think he's going to go far and have a decent career. I agree, I think I agree with that. Um, <laughs> Vinny Bichewin. Oh, Vinny. I saw somebody the other day complaining that we're calling him Vinny. So I looked up, he's, he's, he's got a massive long name and in the middle of there it says Felipe. So I'm just going to call him Phil for now on. Um, <laughs> Phil Scolari Phil Bajowin gets a Phil Bajowin Phil gets a 3.2 and the th- a 3.2 do you do you subscribe to the belief that Vinny Bajowin gets better the less he plays oh, 100% yeah but I also think that when we're a club or a team screaming for width and we have a ready made winger there it's, I, I don't think it's a case of Everybody's screaming for him because we, we think he's going to solve all the problems. I think it's because he's a round peg for a round hole. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever see Vinny Bajown ever again is the next question. I don't think so. I think he's he's found a stash of sticky toffee pudding and he's fucked off back to <laughs> Holland. Yeah, I agree. I you. have a funny um, feeling that the way his career's panned out the last like 18 months, we're going to struggle to get rid of him. Quite possibly. <laughs> There's so, always that possibility. I, think, I don't think we're actually going to see him again, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back here to do the square root of fuck all for another six months. I wouldn't be surprised on that on that part. We um, might we might find him somewhere in Holland, further down the line, you know, obese, you know, sticky toffee pudding, clattered over his face, just in a a doorway somewhere, playing for driving barefoot in like, you know Rotterdam. No, not Rotterdam. I mean, what would, what would be the Dundee of Holland? Ooh, good question. Uh, I feel like such a place doesn't exist. Emin? No. Is that Germany? No, Emin is in Holland. Is they no, they, they produced a championship, le- championship manager legend, Bjorn Zwickel. True, true. Yeah, we'll say Rotterdam. It'll be an Uber driver in Rotterdam. <laughs> be an Uber driver. <laughs> turning out for whatever... <laughs> turning out for whatever lower league side Scott Calderwood is currently managing. <laughs> Fuck it. Ryan Duncan. 
see, I feel bad for Ryan Duncan. I want I, another one. I want him to succeed, but he's he's your square peg, or the round peg being shoved in a square hole. Um, I think if he was playing in his natural position, he would get a much higher rating. But right now, it's a six point three. Angus McDonald, by far and away our best defender, still doesn't play enough. Um, for when he has played, I'd give him a seven. Scored a raker in a oh. pair of sketchers. I mean, what fucking more do you want? What a night. Jack Milne, obviously he's come at the squad, come at the, the team in recent weeks. Done okay, I think. Yeah, I like Jack. He's um Despite the fact he's also not a right wing back, no. never mind. But fucking hell. It's imagine playing a right wing back in a right wing back position. Wonder what Joy would get from that. Um No, I like Jack. He's strong, physical. he can shift as well. He's quite fast. Uh considering he's not played his natural position. 6.8. Last two. Don't worry, we're nearly there. Or Dadia. Fucking hell. Um, how the fuck are you meant to score somebody <laughs> that just... He's probably standing at his back it's door so right difficult. now, smoking. Um, for, the, for the myth, for, for everything about him, told somebody's kid to fuck off after they asked for an uh, autograph on their shirt. Is that right? Fucking hell, didn't know that one. Uh, we'll give him a, yep. a, a minus 22.5. <laughs> Minus tweet. His buying smoking ability is a 10. <laughs> I agreed. And then last, but by no means least, our Montenegrin international, Slobby Rubizic. Uh, big Ruby. I want him to be so good. But it's a 6.3 for me. Too many stupid fucking individual mistakes. But again, I think there's a player in there. I just think he needs to be told to stop being a prick and diving into everything. <laughs> Can we all agree, though, off the based on the evidence of his uh, celebration when he scored for Montenegro, that we do desperately want them to score sometime soon for the Don? So I just want to see what happens. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm well up for it. He's probably going to behead someone, I would say. <laughs> Does he get bonus points for the fact he just wanted to take on the entire Sevco side during the last few minutes of injury time at Hamden? I'm still incredibly upset that, that we didn't just line them up and he yeah. had a go, Street Fighter style. Who was holding, or someone holding them back? And I remember thinking, just fucking Well, I mean, this is the thing. Kelrus was, but I think Ruby was letting Kelrus nah. hold him back. Kelrus dived the right way in that one. Was Kelrus as well possible, just, just while I think about it quickly, was he the most ineffective goalkeeper coming up for a last-minute corner you've ever seen? At, at any point did you think, you know what, it might land at his feet? <laughs> well, to be fair, the one that you did come up for, we hit the ball to the near post. Yeah, it was. It and was the classic. ball got about, I think the ball got about two feet off the ground, so... I think a drawing of Kel Roos would have been more effective in that situation. <laughs> right, there we go. We're through. We'll see what happens next week when we get myself, Gav, Graham to give our scores on these guys as well and see how they tally up. I'm not entirely sure if we'll get hit a, a, a 4 million and 12 that we did for Boyomiovsky, but never mind. Um, Jamie, listen, mate, thank you so much for joining us. Thank to, you. To go through the pain that was talking about the AFC 2023-2024 season to date so far. Much appreciate, mate. And on top of that as well, appreciate the, the relatively frequent contributions on the voice notes as well. Last time around was an absolute fucking parlour, as I recall. <laughs> oh, I was I was in uh, I was in the north of Italy in the the fucking mountains, just ranting. She was in the shower and she comes out. What are you screaming at? I'm like, Aberdeen. Yeah, of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> Yeah. So no, listen mate, appreciate it because it's a late night for you tonight on a Sunday evening to come and talk absolute 
shite to us about the Dons and what's happened so far this season, but we much appreciate it. That will wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you're doing your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 148, where we'll bring you part two of the season to date review. We'll do that in the company of original 101, 106, original 106, original 106, 106. FM. 106. Just Beth and her, and her da, William Wallace, not that William Wallace, that'd be a fucking feat of podcasting brilliance to talk through part two of the season to date. And then we'll preview who the fuck is that we play again the first week back? Clyde. Clyde. There we go. In the Scottish Cup. Let's hope we can avoid a repeat of the Darvel situation in that one. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with the Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.